Hey, sis. Welcome to the Mom Keys to Mental Peace podcast. Now, real quick before we get into the show, did you know that this podcast is a spinoff from a book that I wrote? Yes. Mom Keys to Mental Peace, 12 Tips to Become a Healthy Mom and Raise Healthy Children. In this book, I share my story about how I identified toxic patterns of thinking about life and motherhood. I share how God helped me to transform by the renewal of my mind. I didn't want to keep this revelation to myself, so I packaged it in a book to share how you can transform your mindset and lifestyle too. This book is for anyone who desires to break unhealthy generational patterns in their family, want to build healthier and stronger relationships with their children, or for anyone who wants to overcome the battle of negative thoughts in their mind. After reading this book, you will learn how to gain confidence in who you are as a mother, handle unhealthy thinking patterns when they appear in your mind, and position yourself to achieve mom-life balance. This book is available wherever books are sold, and the link will be in the show notes. Now let's get to the show. Welcome to the Mom Keys to Mental Peace podcast. I am your host and sister in Christ, Tari Kaya Allen Butler. This is a podcast for Christian moms who struggle with limiting beliefs and want to learn how to make over their mindsets and level up their lifestyle in faith, family, finances, and fitness. Tap in each week for the Mom Keys to Mental Peace podcast, where you will learn major keys to stop coming up short on your goals and start leveling up for the type of lifestyle you desire God's way. Ready to level up? Let's do it. All right, so welcome to our returning listeners and welcome to our new listeners. So happy to have you here on the podcast. Um, So far, we have been in a series on all things fitness and health, um, healthy lifestyle. Last week, um, I did an episode on five ways to eliminate excuses about working out. So be sure to check that out. Now today, we are going to go into the nutritional part of the whole health and fitness lifestyle, which is um, the eating or emotional eating portion. Now, I don't know if you've known, but I have heard before when it comes to fitness that you know, if you want to see any type of results in your body, 80% of it is our diet and what we eat. And 20% is the actual working out and exercise. So we're going to go into that today. And a quick disclaimer, because I'm all about integrity, about what I come here and share with you all. Um, I am still working through overcoming emotional eating. This is not something that I have mastered <laughs> Okay, um, I've definitely been more intentional about it uh, this week, being that I'm speaking on it. But this is something that I have not mastered. I'm still working through. And I'm not only, you know, talking to you all today, I'm talking to myself. So everything that I share today, I will give you a quick uh, 
warning, today's episode is going to be kind of tight, <laughs> okay? Having your booty cheeks clenched together, clutching your pearls like, oh, sis, you all in my business. Again, this is no uh, judgment or shame to anybody because everything that I say today, I am speaking to myself, okay? So I'm, you know, being transparent and I'm being vulnerable with you all about my struggles when it comes to emotional eating. So we're going to talk about what emotional eating is. Um, I'll share a little bit of my emotional eating story. We'll go into what the Bible has to say about emotional eating. And then I'll give you five ways um, that you can overcome emotional eating or strategies that you can try out that I will be trying as well. Okay, so let's get into it. Now, what is emotional eating? Emotional eating is eating as a way to suppress or soothe negative emotions such as stress, anger, fear, boredom, sadness, and loneliness. <laughs> now that line right there, I was like, oh yeah, that's definitely me. I definitely do that. Um, I will say my biggest uh, emotionals that, excuse me, my biggest emotions that I try to suppress are definitely stress and boredom. That's like the main two. Um, and I'll go in deeper um, with that as I share my story later on in our talk. Okay. Emotional eating can also be um, triggered by major life events or more commonly the hassles of daily life that can trigger negative emotions that lead to emotional eating and disrupt your weight loss efforts. Now, if you've ever, you know, try to go on a diet or try to lose weight, a lot of times that you can work out, you know, you'll show up for your workouts, but then you'll eat something and mess up your entire workout, right? Or all the calories that you just burn, you'll put right back on. Um, again, I'm guilty of this. Just this weekend, I did a hike. I had like 8,000 steps and I was proud of myself. But after that hike, I went to brunch <laughs> and had a very decadent, decadent bowl of shrimp and grits along with a biscuit and some apple butter and a mimosa. So I'm very sure that every calorie that I burned on that hike, I put right back on at the end of brunch. So a lot of times our eating gets in the way of us losing weight or seeing the results that we want to see on that scale, right? So now as far as my story with emotional eating, I can remember engaging in emotional eating as young as four years old as young as four years old. Um, my family catered to my emotional eating habits. They definitely had their own emotional eating habits. Um, I was the youngest child of my family to my parents. All of my siblings were teenagers when I was born. So when I was born, um, my sister was 12. I have another sister who I believe was about 14 and an older brother who was about 17 when I was born. So I pretty much was like the baby of the family and felt like I was raised as an only child. Um, being that, you know, my, on my mom's side, I had my oldest sister who lived with us, but my other brother and sister, they were on my dad's side, so they lived with their mom. But essentially, I felt like I was an only child growing up because my sister who did live with me was kind of, you know, out and about doing her own thing, as teenagers do. So, you know, nobody ever really told me no about things that I wanted. I had absolutely no boundaries um, in my home. So, like I said, as young as four, um, definitely throughout my elementary school, I would overeat a lot, a lot. 
Um, my mom was the mama with McDonald's money. So when y'all talk about, you know, your mamas ain't had McDonald's money, but now all of a sudden they got it. I'd be quiet because I can't relate. <laughs> my mama had McDonald's money. We went out to eat. More than dinner was cooked at home. It, it was nothing for us as a family to go to a sit down restaurant, go to McDonald's, some type of fast food. And that was our dinner for the day. Um, there was nothing for us to be out and about shopping during the day and pick up something to eat. So we ate out more than we cooked meals at home. Now, when I say that I ate a lot, keep in mind, I'm talking about elementary school age. So this is from like five to maybe about 10 years old. I can remember my parents getting me two Happy Meals from McDonald's. So I wanted the nuggets, the six-piece nuggets, and I wanted the burger Happy Meal. And my parents got that for me. Um, at Sonic, you know, they were famous for their foot-long hot dogs. I can remember my grandmother, when I would visit her in North Carolina for the summers, she would get me the foot-long hot dog. Again, this is a, I'm an elementary school child, four or five years old, you know, that young age, under 10, pretty much. She would get me the foot-long hot dog. Sometimes, y'all, she would get me two, <laughs> two foot-long hot dogs, Okay. Um, I also have memories of when we moved to North Carolina, my mom loved ice cream. She loved going to Baskin Robbins, but we didn't have one in the city that we lived in. So it was nothing for us to get in the car and drive about 45 minutes to an hour to the next city um, for us to just get ice cream for no reason. It wasn't any type of celebration. It was simply because she had a sweet tooth and she wanted to get some ice cream. And I find myself doing that with my kids currently. Literally just this week um, or last week, we went to eat at a restaurant. And I mean, we ate. We were pretty full. We had a, a hefty meal. But me and my sweet tooth, which I'll get into later, I was just like, you know, I need something sweet. So I drove to Sonic feeling like, you know, this would be a sweet treat for my kids. They'll be happy. And got us all like the um, ice cream sundaes. My son likes the milkshakes. And as I'm sitting there eating, y'all, they're like kind of, you know, nibbling on theirs and kind of eating them like they don't really want it. And so finally, my son is like, Mom, I'm full. I, I didn't really want this. And Janae says the same thing, like, yeah, I don't really want mine either. And it just kind of clicked to me, being that, you know, we're on health and fitness this month. Like, I have to get out of the habit of feeling like I need to top off every meal with something sweet. And I can't even be mad and say, oh, they wasted my money. That was me trying to be extra, going to get more food when they were full. We literally just had dinner. They were full. Nobody needed a sweet. So that was a lesson learned for me. But it kind of triggered the memory, um, as I just shared with you all, how my mom, we would ride and get ice cream for no reason at all. Um, as a child, I would binge eat snacks at home. So cookies, ice cream, cereal those frozen dinners, chips, things like that. Um, and I can remember just overeating those things at home for entertainment because I was bored. Now, I also had a revelation. Um, I read this book called The Emotionally Absent Mother um, back in 2018. And it brought a lot of revelation to, you know, the dynamic of me and my mom's relationship, um, why I parent the way that I do and why I am the way that I am. So after reading this book, I learned that, you know, in this stage of my life, I was filling myself up with food 
to cope with boredom and loneliness. I can remember a lot of times that I was left alone downstairs at my house uh, while my mom was sleeping in her room. And then I learned, you know, from reading this book that that was a sign of depression for her that she was struggling with, um, which I have seen, you know, in my adult years. And it just all made sense. My dad was always gone to work when I was a kid. Um, They divorced when I was about nine. So I was that kid that would visit my dad in the summers um, between ages like 11 to 14. And I can remember just sitting in the house, y'all, and eating all day, (laughs) just going back and forth to the kitchen, grabbing snacks, grabbing something to drink, and binge watching TV. My dad always made sure that I had money and some type of food in the house, but he was never present because he was always at work. I also remember a lot of my childhood friends in D.C. where I grew up. A lot of them were overweight, and we all connected by eating food when we did hang together. So this was the time in the 90s where it was okay for your kids to walk the streets and go to the store. I still can't believe that. (laughs) At that age, we would walk to the corner store. We would get chips, drink, candy, soda, all types of things. Um, We would also walk to the Chinese store, the Chinese restaurant, which is known as the carryout, and get us some Chinese food and bring it back to the house. And we would sit on the porch and eat our snacks or eat our food and laugh and talk and have a good time. That was how we all bonded together. Um, I always struggled with my weight as a child. I definitely was a chubby kid. I can remember moments of looking in the mirror at myself for hours, just hating what I saw. Um, I can remember just wishing that I looked like somebody else or that I was somebody else. I was highly influenced by um, people that I saw on TV or magazines, you know, um, less than over them or wishing that I was thinner or looked like somebody else. Like I just completely hated who I was. I hated that I couldn't wear certain clothes or fit certain clothes because of my weight. Now, not only did my mom, you know, go out to eat a lot, but she was a shopaholic too. So a lot of times we would go to the malls and go shopping. I know Limited 2 was really big at that time. Um, It was like a child, a girly girl clothes store. And I can remember being in like the biggest size in that store. And that was pushing it as far as, you know, me being able to fit their clothes And I can just remember a sense of shame and guilt every time that we would, you know, go shopping and I was faced with, you know, being in the bigger size of the clothes or liking something, seeing something that I liked, but not being able to get it because I couldn't fit it. Right. Um, I was teased a lot because of my weight in grade school. Um, But I will say I was pretty much of a jokester, too. So that was like a... um, protective mechanism for me. Like if somebody made a joke about my weight, I was coming back with a joke about you. Um, That's definitely how you had to take care of yourself or take up for yourself as a child. But at the end of the day, you know, I was still, my feelings were still hurt um, about, you know, being teased about my weight and that reality being thrown back in my face that, you know, you're overweight, you're an obese, you're a chubby kid, you know, that really hurt my feelings. And as a result, you know, of the sadness, y'all, I would eat more food to cope with my feelings. So how backwards is that, right? You know, I'm, you know, large because of eating and I'm sad because I'm large. But to cope with the sadness, now here I am still eating more food to cope with those feelings, hence the emotional eating. Um, And like I said, I remember just feeling shame and guilt after eating. 
as a kid. So all of this carried over into my adult life. Like I said, this is something I'm still working on. Even though I've lost a great amount of weight, I've done great, and I'm consistent with my workouts, I still find myself engaging in emotional eating behaviors. So I definitely eat when I'm bored. I've been home for the summer um, and not, you know, working since I'm an educator. And there are some days where, you know, we're not out and about doing things and that's okay, you know, for money reasons. But I notice on those days, if I feel bored in the house, I'm back and forth in the kitchen, pinching off of snacks, making lunch, making breakfast, making dinner, and then going to sit back down and just back and forth eating. Um, I definitely eat when I'm overwhelmed or when I'm stressed. I've noticed a pattern that when my two-year-old starts throwing a tantrum, that triggers me to want to grab some type of a snack or something real quick to eat, whether it's like a pack of gummies or just grab um, a few chips on a napkin real quick. I just feel triggered and stressed like, and I find myself thinking about a snack or something to eat to soothe me in those moments when I feel overwhelmed. Um, I will say I'm not as bad as my mom when it comes to going out to eat, but I do not mind going out to eat instead of cooking. My husband kind of helps balance that out because he'll be like, no, we just went out to eat, you know, yesterday. I ain't trying to go out to eat today. And, you know, with him being the head of our household, it is what it is, what he says. So if I have to cook dinner, that's fine. But like I said, I don't mind going out to eat. I don't mind picking up breakfast, picking up lunch, and picking up dinner somewhere, <laughs> going out to eat. Um, so again, that carried over into my adult life. I definitely find myself eating for entertainment and enjoyment versus being genuinely hungry. Like if I'm eating is to, you know, have a pair of food paired with a good movie or something I'm watching on Netflix or to meet up with a friend and have conversation and talk or to celebrate. But is it because I'm genuinely hungry? A lot of times, no, it's not. I would say probably the only meal that I eat when I'm genuinely hungry is breakfast in the morning because, you know, I've been asleep, time has passed over, and when I wake up, I'm actually hungry hungry and ready to eat, okay? Um, as I've shared, sweets are my weakness, my weakness, okay? For whatever reason, I feel like I have to have something sweet Every time I finish eating a meal, even at work, when I finish eating lunch, I feel like, oh, I got to have something sweet, a little piece of candy or something. And I will go seek it out, whether it's at the vending machine, being that I work at an elementary school, a lot of teachers have little prize boxes with candy and stuff. So I know my teachers who have that and I'll go and find me a little piece of candy or something. So this is definitely something I need to overcome. Now, if you don't know, I am the baker of Kaya's Cookies, which are sweets, which is my biggest weakness is cookies, okay? So I have to have certain boundaries in place when it comes to Kaya's Cookies and not overbake. Whenever I first started, I would pre-roll all these flavors, all these cookies, and whatever I didn't sell, I would end up baking and eating them at home. So now I have to create boundaries where I only prep a certain amount of cookies um, as far as flavors or I don't bake or I don't prep anything unless I have a pre-order for it. Because if I have extra cookies, they will be eaten, period. <laughs> okay. They will be eaten. I'm too weak to have that many um, cookies around. So 
this is definitely something that's generational as I, you know, study my food story from what I experienced with my family. And I'm noticing some of those habits and my children as well today. So my kids are huge snackers and I should probably um, find a new place to keep the snacks because right now I keep them on the top of our refrigerator, which is very visible. And my two-year-old knows that. So he'll go over to the refrigerator, knack, knack, and point into what he wants. He'll eat a snack, be done with it, come right back and ask for another one. My daughter is big on snacks too. And my son, my son has my sweet tooth. My daughter, not so much, um, but both of my boys, they definitely have my sweet tooth. Excuse me. And they like to overindulge in snacks. So I'm starting to ask them now the question, are you hungry or are you bored? And this is something that causes you to really self-reflect and tune in with yourself. And this is something I want them to practice. So a lot of times I have to tell them no, or we'll keep track of snacks. Like, well, you just had a pack of gummies. So no, you don't need any chips right now. I believe that you're just bored. Go find something to do, an activity to do, go outside. And if you're still genuinely hungry later, then yes, you can get a snack. Um, I know that they like to snack when I'm cooking dinner. It's like a little appetizer. Sometimes I have to tell them no, like I'm literally cooking dinner. You can wait another 30, 45 minutes until dinner is done, and then you can eat. You don't have to have a snack uh, as entertainment before you eat food, okay? So, and again, I have to practice what I preach because I'm the one that will order an appetizer when I go out to eat and my meal and then want to top it off with something sweet. So, <laughs> again, this is a work in progress. So, this is really deep, y'all. This is where y'all have to buckle up your seatbelts. What does the Bible have to say about emotional eating? A lot, <laughs> okay, that will check me. So I'm going to start off with 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. And I chose this scripture in the message version, in the message version, because if you're not uh, familiar with the Bible, there's different uh, translations. But that message version, it hits hard every time and directly to what the word is trying to say. So again, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12. Just because something is technically legal doesn't mean it's spiritually appropriate. If I went around doing whatever I thought could, excuse me, if I went around doing whatever I thought I could get by with, I would be a slave to my whims. Y'all, I'm going to read that first line again because it, it just hits too hard. Just because something is technically legal. So technically it's legal to eat. It's not illegal to eat. You won't, you're not breaking any laws. You won't go to jail for overeating. Technically it is legal, but that doesn't mean that it's spiritually appropriate. Okay. And we're going to go deeper into what that means. If I went around doing whatever I thought I could get by with, I will be a slave to my whims. Now, what are your whims? That is a sudden desire or change of mind, especially one that is unusual or unexplained, an impulse or urge. So if you give in to every impulse or urge that you have to eat whenever you're not hungry, but you're just bored or you're just sad or you're just overstimulated, then you will become a slave to it. And y'all, I can honestly say that I believe that in my lifetime, I have been a slave to food, right? Food has had a control over me mentally, emotionally, physically. It has controlled and navigated a lot of my life, all right? 
Then the next verse down, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13. You know the old saying, first you eat to live and then you live to eat. Well, it may be true that your body is only a temporary thing, but that's no excuse for stuffing your body with food or indulging in sex. That's another topic for another day. Since the master honors you with a body, honor him with your body. Okay, let's run that back. <laughs> let's run that back. You All right, so it starts off by saying, first you eat to live. All right, so that's you as a baby, right? All babies have to eat to live. They actually have babies on a schedule to eat like every three to four hours where they're drinking milk. Then they're learning how to eat um, solid foods and growing. Okay. So first, yes, you do have to eat to live. And essentially we do have to eat to live, right? Food is supposed to be fuel for our bodies, but we are going past the fuel and overfilling our tanks and just eating for entertainment, which is not the purpose of food, as it says here. So first you eat to live and then you live to eat. Well, it may be true that the body is only te a temporary thing, but that's no excuse for stuffing your body with food. Y'all, again, this is the message version of this scripture. That's pretty much what we are doing. We're saying, you know, oh, you know, I'm just living life. You only live once. You know, I'm not going to be here forever. But this scripture is saying, yeah, that's true, but that's no excuse to stuff your body with food, <laughs> which is what we're doing. Then it says, you know, since the master honors you with the body, since God gave us all a body, we need to honor him with our bodies. That includes the food that we eat. And then on here, like um, it includes sex as well. So that's really deep. Now, are you all familiar with the seven deadly sins? Pride, greed, lust, envy, gluttony, wrath, and sloth. Gluttony is what we're going to focus on today. It's one of the seven deadly sins. Gluttony is excessive eating, drinking, and indulgence. And this also covers greed, just wanting and taking so much or more than what you're supposed to have. And I did some research. There's a website called um, Precision, Precision Nutrition. And it kind of just went down um, in more detail about what gluttony means. So gluttony is eating outside of a prescribed time or like that mindless eating. I engage in that. <laughs> Anticipating eating with preoccupied longing. So you eat um, for the morning and now your mind is consumed with what you're going to eat for lunch, what you're going to eat for dinner or going on vacation and what we're going to eat like. And I will say. Just last Sunday, I listened to um, this uh, YouTube sermon and they had a guest speaker who it was a white woman. She was not from America because she had an accent. And y'all, I was a little offended when she was on stage. She made a comment and was like, what one thing I've learned about you people is that all you think about is food, chicken wings and what you're going to eat next and what you're going to eat after church. And you need to start uh, thinking about God and seeking God the way that you seek food. Now, I was offended because she said you people. So are you talking about black people or Americans? But when I really thought about it, I was like, culturally, that's how we are. We think about food for celebrations, like a baby shower. Have y'all heard of the baby shower meatballs? Like that is a thing for us. The macaroni cheese on Thanksgiving, it will cause like 
of a breakup in a family, it matters about who made it and how it tastes. Um, for funerals at the repast, who got who made the chicken? Where did chicken come from? Like we are so consumed with food constantly, as it says here, anticipating eating with preoccupied longing. And I believe that this is a sin because God wants our minds focused on him and things that edify him and glorify him. And there's no way that we can do that if we're constantly thinking about food and what we're going to eat and when we're going to eat and what we ate last time and all of these different things as far as food. It fills our mind up. All right. Another thing is said that gluttony is, is consuming costly foods. So eating lavishly simply for the purpose of conspicuous consumption. All right. Um, and I, for me, I feel like there's nothing wrong with, you know, going to a nice restaurant. I've been to like Perry's Steakhouse or Ruth Chris, where it is a little costly. Now, do I do that all the time? No, that's for a special occasion. So I believe here is saying like, if you feel like you can only eat lavish foods or you're constantly eating, um, expensive foods for the purpose of like a uppity consumption, then that's where you're stepping into gluttony. Um, another thing that gluttony is, is not being content with common foods or always seeking delicacies. That's me. I was needing something sweet or perhaps supersizing. So I remember they had a documentary for McDonald's. It was this white guy that ate McDonald's for like 30 days. And anytime they asked him to supersize it, he had to say yes. And you could see the physical effects on his body. Um, as a result of that, I believe the documentary is called Super Size Me. I don't know what platform it's on, but they're saying that this is gluttony. When you're not, you know, um, content with just common food, you always have to have more or it has to be this type of fancy food, a delicacy. Another thing that gluttony is, is not savoring a reasonable amount of food. So this makes me think about, you know, going out to eat and the portions in America are so huge. Um, at restaurants when we go out to eat. I can remember getting like some crab cakes before for an appetizer and they only gave me three and it was like $20. And I was just like, three crab cakes? That's not enough. I need three more. But when I say that I was full or satisfied after I ate those three crab cakes, but I had in my mind that three was not enough. So under pressure and my gluttonous desires, I ended up ordering more. So $40 on six crab cakes, because I felt like the three I had wasn't enough when I actually was full after I ate those three crab cakes. So <laughs> Lord, please help me. Um, and then the last thing that they had is that gluttony is paying too much attention to food, which includes paying too much attention to how we look, which can become a form of idolatry. And this is more so what I shared um, at the beginning of this talk with my emotional eating story as a kid, how I would just look at myself in the mirror. And I will even say as an adult now, looking at myself in the mirror, obsessing over my mom tummy, fat here, fat there, not losing this as a result of the food that I'm eating, which can become idolatry, which again is your brain and your mind just being consumed with you and how you look and the food that you eat and not turning that energy towards God, which is where our thoughts should be. All right. Now, I said that gluttony is one of the seven deadly sins, right? So James 1 and 15 tells us about sins. 
These desires lead to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. All right. So ultimately, what I had to realize is that I don't want to die because of food. And this is a real reality in America and specifically in the black community. We are dying because of food. Okay. Um, Forbes Health um, did a survey and it says that 41.9% of adults in the U.S. are obese. Like you might as well say half, 41%. If you round that up, that's so close to 50. Almost half of the adults in the United States are uh, obese. Okay. We have so many health concerns that it sounds so common. I hear this all the time. People who struggle with high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes, and heart disease. And y'all, I hear these diseases so much that I thought that these health conditions came along with being old because it's so common. I don't know how many family members that I know who suffer from high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes, heart disease, something like this, or taking some type of medicine for one of these diseases. It's so common that I literally thought this is a part of getting old, but that's not the reality. These diseases can be stopped, right? It's all a part of our diet. That's why these diseases come to us. So we don't have to have them when we're old. We have the choice to uh, move away from these diseases and have a more healthier, older life if we switch and change our diets now. We have to practice self-control, which is one of the fruits of the spirit. Eating is one thing that we have complete control over. As an adult, you know, nobody is feeding us. <laughs> nobody is scooping a spoon into the food and putting it to our mouth and forcing us saying, here, you have to eat this. We have complete control over what we put in our mouths, right? If you think about it, we are picking up the food and putting it in our mouths ourselves. We can have the self-control to not pick the food up, to not bring the food to our mouth. So a mantra that I'm trying to practice um, when it comes to this is that I have control over what I put in my mouth. I can control it. I can help it. A lot of times we're like, I just can't help it. Yes, we can. We can help what we put inside of our mouth. So now after I, you know, just snatched everybody's edges back, including mine, because child, <laughs> when it when I studied those scripture scriptures, it was just a real hard reality. Like we just be out here doing stuff when we have control over it. Right. So here are five ways to overcome emotional eating. Again, this is not anything that I have mastered. I am practicing it. And these are some of the things that I'm going to try to put in place to help me with emotional eating. So the first thing for you to do is figure out your food story. What behaviors have you held onto or picked up over time about food that you learned as a kid? One example that I know a lot um, that we have picked up is that you need to eat all of your food before you leave the table, which in our adult life, this forces us to feel like we have to eat everything in one setting. When if we're full, we should just stop eating, right? But some of us have been taught as a kid, you can't get up until you finish your plate. But what if as a kid you were full and you were done eating, but you were forced to continue eating past that point of fullness? So now as an adult, that's just normal to you and what you do, okay? So figure out your food story. What are those habits that you've picked up on and held on to over time? 
The second thing you can do to overcome emotional eating is to keep a food log. Now, this is something I'm doing in the notes section of my phone, but if you have a journal and you want to write it out, that's fine. I just feel like the phone is more convenient because you're going to have it in your hand versus keeping up with a notebook and a piece of paper throughout the day. So keep track of your food. Write down everything that you eat, I say, for 30 days. Don't try to change the behavior yet. Simply keep track to notice your patterns. After the 30 days, study the data. How often are you eating? What types of food are you eating? And what is your emotion while you're eating? So um, as a result of me keeping track, I put a star beside the foods that I eat when I'm just feeling bored or overwhelmed or snacking just because it's there. I'll put a little star. And like I said, I'm not, I just started it this month. I'm not changing my behaviors yet, but it does make me more aware and I'm able to study my patterns over time. A third thing that you can do to overcome emotional eating is ask yourself, am I hungry or bored before you eat? Really tap into your feelings when you're faced with this, okay? Think about the last time that you ate, and sometimes you just may need to drink water instead. The fourth thing you can do is model good eating habits for your children. As I've shared, you know, emotional eating is generational, just like alcoholism or drug abuse or um, parental abuse, whatever, uh, emotional eating can be passed down to your children too. So set boundaries for snacks. If your kids just had a snack and they come right back trying to get another one, set boundaries and tell them no. They have to wait X amount of time before they can get another snack. Talk to them about the consequences of overeating. So tell them about the health concerns. No, you cannot have this because if you do, you run the risk of you know, obesity, high blood pressure, too much sugar in your body is not healthy, you know, just educate them. And if you don't know, find out so that the whole family can be educated. You know, a lot of times the enemy wins over us as a whole simply because we don't know things because of lack of information. And we don't have to stand by and let that happen. There's so much information out there. So if there's something you don't know, look it up. I will say for me, um, and this is an another point, um, have more healthy snack options in the house and stop buying unhealthy snack options. So for me, um, I stopped buying those Debbie cakes, those um, Swiss rolls and oatmeal pies and things like that. Have y'all read the ingredients on that stuff? That will humble a lot of us if we stopped and read the ingredients in a lot of these snacks. Um I stopped buying those as much and started getting more like um, gummies and fruit snacks. I try to make a fruit salad every week. My kids love fruit. Um, I know that they have the pre-made ones, but I realized that we are not eating all of the fruit that's in it. So I make my own. We really love grapes, strawberries, and blackberries. And I'll put those together in a bowl and try to have it available throughout the house, um, throughout the week for them to choose those. So Maybe you need to start picking up more healthy snack options and stop buying the unhealthy snack options and talk to your kids about why. All right. The fifth thing that you can do to stop emotional eating is to give yourself grace and time. This type of change is not going to happen overnight. Don't beat yourself up if you mess up, you know, because I'm pretty sure that's going to happen. This is a habit over time. There's no telling how many years you've been in it. 
as I've shared since four years old, I've been dealing with emotional eating. So it's not going to all be over in 30 days in July. So just give yourself grace. Um, forgive yourself if you mess up and just try again the next day. God has new mercies every day. Give yourself new mercies and grace every day. This will take assistance from the Holy Spirit. Um, as I've shared before, that self-control fruit of the Spirit. This will take a practice of self-control, a mindset shift, and being intentional on your part to see a change. Okay. So that is all that I have for you all today. Um, two quick reflection questions. What is your emotional eating story? So go back and, you know, really maybe journal this out, have some time to yourself about the habits that you've picked up over time. And what boundaries will you put in place to cut back from emotional eating? All right. If you're not, be sure to follow me on Instagram and Facebook. I would love to have you join the Mom Keys to Mental Peace email list and community where I share out weekly blogs and resources that I don't share on my social media. Be sure to subscribe to the Mom Keys to Mental Peace podcast and my YouTube channel where you can catch all the replays. Um, and if you have been enjoying this show, be sure to rate, leave a review, share it out with a friend um, who it could help and bless. Um, and I will see you all next week. I'm not going to tell you the title of it because I'm still a little nervous. It's a very vulnerable <laughs> episode. But tune in next week because um, I'm going to do it. But yeah. All right. So thank you all again. I pray that you have a great rest of your week. And thank you for tuning in with me. Bye.